0: Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you.
1: Six foot six above C level. I grab the mic because
2: I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation.
0: Welcome to a public affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. Today we're going to continue conversations about the ongoing transformation in the Madison landscape with a focus on incorporating comu- community involvement in development. In September, residents from 48 townhouses in the Bayview community along West Washington Avenue in Madison moved into 48 new apartments. This was the first phase of the Bayview Foundation's comprehensive reenvisioning of the community, built in 1971, using a process called design justice. This process has garnered attention far beyond the community. Here are two Bayview residents talking at the project's groundbreaking in August 21, 2021 with WRT's news director, Charlie Pittman, about the need for the redesign and what the community means to them. I'm um, full name is Saiva Yang. The last name is ba- Saiva Yang.
3: Saiva Yang has been a Bayview maintenance man and resident for more than three decades. He says he was hired in 1990 because he spoke three languages, Lao, Hmong, and English. He's been busy trying to keep the existing infrastructure up to date.
2: Oh, like, over 50 years old, the building, like, the name, like you know, everything old and break down, break down. they have to fix it, and repair, remount it. Too much work. <laughs> My name is Nina Okwale. I'm from originally from Nigeria, Africa.
3: Nina Akwale is from Nigeria, but has lived in Bayview for about two decades. She's also a part of the community's housing committee and is a Bayview leader.
2: Bayview is a, is a place for international people. I mean, when I mean international, it brings a lot of people from different countries, different um, uh, culture, coming together on one roof. So we have have a common ground bring us together to get to know each other. It's like a family-oriented place. It's a very beautiful place, safety for children. I have a lot of programs that bring kids together. We have a lot of programs that bring adults together. It's just a family-oriented area, safe for everyone. She says
3: that residents were a central part of planning the redevelopment, everything from the color of houses to making sure that children are protected from through traffic.
2: Yeah, they were concerned about children, you know, since we have a parking lot and then the playground is along the road. We didn't want a road that would pass through this neighborhood that is, has to be high speed. We don't want to lose lives. We wanted something that has to do with a step emergency or a bicycle or bike. This is kind of a low speed, like below 25, just for life, safety purpose
0: here to tell us more about design justice at Bayview and its implications for re affordable housing and community in Madison and beyond. We have two guests today. We have Shang Vang, who is a longtime Bayview resident, the housing coordinator at Bayview, and a Bayview Foundation board member. And we have Lexi London, Executive Director of the Bayview Foundation. Lexi was also recently the recipient of Madison's 2022 Jeffrey Clay Erlanger Civility in Public Discourse Award. Welcome to a Public Affair Lexi. Thank you for having us. And welcome to you, Zhang. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. And welcome listeners. If you'd like to join our conversation today about Bayview, Affordable Housing, Design Justice, give us a call. You can call us at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. We're going to start off our conversation today learning more about Bayview and its community, and then we'll dive into the design justice process, which we're all eager to learn more about and what we can learn from it about how to create affordable housing and community in Madison and beyond. So, Lexi, I'll have you start us off today with telling us a little bit about the history of Bayview and this part of Madison's role in the city's history in particular.
3: Sure. Happy to. Um, for, for those who aren't familiar with where Bayview is located, this is a critical component of our history. We're located in the green, the old historic Greenbush neighborhood. Um, we are at the tip of West Washington and Regent Streets. Um, but this neighborhood is part of uh, the Triangle neighborhood and the historic Greenbush, which was raised in the 1960s as part of the city's effort in urban renewal. It's a very contested history. And if you've read any of Stu Levitan's materials and uh, you can understand, you can learn more about how and why. Um, But the the area was all raised, all of the single family homes and businesses that uh, were here in the 1800s and early 1900s were all taken down on the triangle. And the area was completely cleared by 1961 um, and then sat vacant for many, many years. And then in the in the mid 1960s, a group of local activists and community leaders came together um, to really question what was the city doing with the land, what was the plan, how are we going to bring back affordable housing, how had all of these Italian, Albanian, German, Jewish immigrants been impacted by being displaced from this area, and what were we going to do about it? And so. Some of those activists formed what's now known as the Bayview Foundation, and they uh, kind of became an entity in 1966 and then ended up um, resulting in a partnership with the city to to really start to operate the tip of West Washington and Regent Street as Bayview townhouses. Um, And so the first townhouses for Bayview were were, were built in 1971. But that that history is really important because it really informed how Bayview went about a redevelopment plan, um, just because we didn't want to repeat what had happened in the past.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that redevelopment plan a little bit more. But Thank you for that uh, helpful history and background. Um, Let's put some stories to that broad history a little bit. And Shang, I would love uh, for you to tell us a little bit um, about your family's story at Bayview. And um, other families that you know as well, feel free to add and and tell us a little bit about who's at Bayview.
1: Sure. Um, So my family came here, I don't quite remember, but uh, my family came here from Laos and we came uh, after the war and uh, came to uh, Missoula, Montana. And then from Missoula, Montana, we found our way here to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, because there were residents here that knew uh, my dad. So my dad's been here, my dad and my family we've been here for, for a while. And then um I left for a while to pursue education and other things and um you know, then uh then I came back. I came back to Bayview and uh here I am and um working hard and uh is a great place, um residents here, uh great people, um lots of uh, ethnicities and uh you know it's just a great great community you know you have to come here to experience it to see it you know just me saying this um, you know you got you got to be here and you see you know the programming um, the arts the community center the staff the management just, just everything everything here is great
0: Thanks, Sean. Any idea from either of you exactly how many, you mentioned many different ethnicities, and one of the residents in the clip we played a little bit ago talked about it being a very international place. Any um, sense of the number of uh, places of origin of families there at Bayview?
3: I would say at least 15 to 20 different places of origin. We have families from South America. We have families from all different parts of Africa, but primarily West Africa, Um, Southeast Asia, Laotian, Cambodian, Hmong, Vietnamese families, um, one Native American family, African American families. So it's very diverse. We estimate that about 12 different languages are spoken by the various residents of of Bayview.
0: Wow. It's hard to imagine another place in Madison, such a small place, compact place where you could hear that many languages as you're going about your, your daily life. Um, yeah, it's really
3: really wonderful. For all of our resident meetings and engagement sessions, we have simultaneous interpretation happening. So you really experience how all those languages play out at the same time. and um, it's, a, it's a really interesting process in communicating.
0: Shang mentioned um, the great sense of community there. And anytime you hear about Bayview or you read about it, that's something that's mentioned as well. And I know it's sort of something hard to put your finger on, but I'm wondering for listeners uh, if there is an example you could mention to give us a sense of like what makes this community a little different than, than other spaces, what makes people feel connected there in particular?
1: Well, here at Bayview, um, you have generations of families who, uh, who, know, who know each other their parents have lived here or their grandparents and then, um, you know, the, the younger generation and uh, a lot of things done here. They have picnics, uh, get togethers, even though people speak different languages, residents and neighbors, they they know each other. Like I said, they, they know their parents. So they get together. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's very hard to explain. It's very hard to explain. People feel safe here. It's welcoming. It's, it's just very, very well connected. And, you know, kids can, play outside safe. Adults, you know, in the summertime sit outside and, you know, they sew and, you know, just relax outside. It's it's a very, very safe environment. It's a very safe community.
3: Yeah, I would, I would add to that that um, with the community center in the middle of the property, um, residents know where they can go to get services and support. And programming is happening yes. here all the time for youth and for adults and seniors, yeah. and there's a food pantry. And so People are running into each other all the time, not just as neighbors, but as fellow community members who care about the community that they live in and share. Um, I've heard some residents describe it in their own way as like a community of mutual aid. So if somebody sees someone struggling with getting groceries out of their trunk of their car, there's often somebody walking by that will say, oh, can I help you? Um, The kids in programming, they know each other so well because of um, having been in program together for so long that the community center is kind of like an extension of a living space. It's kind of a living, living room. Um, And they know what each other likes, doesn't like, like they know each other's personalities so well. And so if there's one child who needs extra support, um, all the other kids are aware of that and offer up ways to support that child. It's, um it's it's sort of like a sibling i think they treat each other as siblings or as extended family members um and they look out for each other it's not to say it's not perfect i mean it's it's not always perfect um there's definitely some tensions here and there but i think on the whole residents feel like they belong here they feel like management cares about what they have to say and they feel that the diversity is a real rich asset in the community at large.
0: You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison's community sponsored. Radio. My name is Douglas Haynes, and today I'm talking with Lexi London, Executive Director of the Bayview Foundation, and Shang Fang, Housing Coordinator and Bayview Resident and Bayview Foundation board member. We're talking about what's happening at Bayview in terms of the redesign there and design justice and affordable housing here in Madison and beyond more broadly. We'd love for you to join in with questions, experiences, Uh, You can give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. So I'm going to pick up right where we left off there. You were giving this beautiful description of the community. And I imagine um, when people started thinking about redesigning the community, there might have been some trepidation about, well, we have a great thing going here in terms of uh, a connected community. What um, are the... Concerns that people had when it was brought up that we're going to change things here at Bayview. Um, did, did, how did people begin with that process?
3: Um, we we had been hearing from residents for a long time that things were deteriorating in their physical environments in their homes. And so we knew of issues with windows leaking and, and cold air coming in in the winter. Um, we were aware of plumbing issues that that weren't getting any better. So we were aware of uh, as wa mentioned in the intro, we were aware of lots of different issues with the housing and we knew that lots of repairs needed to be made. And so um, residents for a long time, even prior to me coming on board, we're interested in a redevelopment. Like Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. hear from residents, long-term residents that are just like, we've been waiting for it to happen and now it's finally happening and they're delighted that they're alive to see it happening um, because the buildings are 50 years old and just in need of repair. And so we did a capital needs assessment in about 2017 with an architect and determined that it just wasn't financially feasible to try to rehab the current buildings um, and the current footprint, like they're, they're not physically accessible and the extent of rehab you'd have to do was just cost prohibitive. And so at that point in 2017, we knew that it was going to be a complete rebuild, taking all of the current buildings down, including the community center and reconstructing all new housing and all new community center program spaces. So we started to have that conversation early on with residents so that they were very informed knowing that this wasn't going to be a rehab, that there's a difference between a rehab and a reconstruction, and this was going to be a full reconstruction. But Jean can talk about some of the residents, what they've shared with you about sure. their feelings about it.
2: Sure.
1: Yeah, a lot of long-time residents, current residents, they're, they're very happy. They're very excited for the, the redevelopment. Um, you know they've been here all their lives, and uh, the buildings here. You know, you know, like like, like Lexi, Lexi mentioned. You know, I mean, it's just not feasible to, to repair and fix. So, um, you know, with the redevelopment coming, new buildings, um, residents are just looking forward to it. Uh, you know, it just improves quality of life. Uh, you know, just, just you know just something to look forward to. Like there's an elder, um, she was like, you know, she never believed that she would see this day. Um, it's been mentioned before, but then um, here it is, it's actually happening. And she's so excited to move in, in uh, October. And, and you know, it's just, um, it's just great, you know, new buildings, uh, new services, uh, new programs with the new community center. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's gonna improve the community overall.
0: Thanks, Zhang. We're going to dive into all of that. There's so much to talk about there. Let's start uh, a little bit with the process. Then uh, you establish that there's this need and people have been talking about the need for a long time, it sounds like. Um, you came up with this idea, as you mentioned at the outset, Lexi, of having a different kind of development mm-hmm. here than happened back in the late 60s. Um how did you uh, bring people together to begin this process? And, and how did you stumble upon the idea of design justice and what did that come to mean for the community?
3: Sure. Um, so I became the executive director in 2016. And so about that first year we were st- the board had already started to talk about the redevelopment, and the board is led by a very visionary group who knew, again, like the history of the triangle and and how we really couldn't repeat the same mistakes from the past. And we didn't want to do a redevelopment process that was for people, but we wanted to do something with them and co-created. Um, and then I, I have a very different background. My background isn't in development. My background is in a nonprofit work, primarily education with youth and arts and community art building. And so I have a very different perspective. And so that kind of unleashed me from and, and from a process that might typically be put forward with a, a redevelopment planning process um, as artists and create creative people. You just you see all the possibilities and you see various options. Um, And you you typically don't wanna do things the way that they've been done before. And so what that opened up was just, how do we utilize like a participatory design process, which is something that's often used in public art creation. Um, How do you do that participatory process when it comes to a a redevelopment and a massive planning process? And what you do is you, you just start with the residents. So you start with the people who will actually be impacted by the redevelopment. Um, And then to do a thorough assessment and and to thoroughly involve them, you have to create a structure. And so we ended up getting some support from the city of Madison for a planning process that we then designed and implemented. And that was just something that really came out of community arts practice. Um, At that point, I had not stumbled across design justice as a term and as a, a philosophy. And so it was really just like, getting people together, having various conversations, um, and and stepping that process out. So you start with really big themes like uh, what are your hopes, what are your fears, and then you kind of narrow down into more specific things like architecture, or services, or outdoor spaces that you really want to drill down, what people's needs and wants, and and what some of the previous barriers might have been for for people to access the things that they need and want to make their lives better. And so we sort of envisioned like this really um, much more holistic environment that takes into consideration, not just dignified, affordable housing, but also sustainability, um, reducing the impact on the environment, art and beauty, how do you make spaces beautiful. Um, and just um, green and, and equity and social justice so those were kind of the pillars that like de- that this plan developed out of and then we just did about a year's worth of community engagement with residents um at that point Zhang was on the housing committee and hired as um, a resident who then interviewed other residents so we did, we did meetings, we did focus groups, we did interviews by language. Yeah. So Jean yeah. was one of those, um, residents who led that effort. Yeah. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah. Surveys. <laughs> yeah. Surveys. Yeah. Going door to door. It was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Could that you tell us
0: good. more about that process, Jean? <laughs> what was it like to go door to door and talk to people and and what did they have to say?
1: It was, it was very exciting, you know, going door to door. I mean, at first it was a little nerve wracking, you know, but, uh, you know, seeing what, seeing what people thought, you know, of choices of colors from bricks to exterior materials, inner materials to basements and, you know, everything, you know, it was great, you know, you just, just get people's input and, uh, you know, collecting all the data and getting it together and reviewing it. It, it, it was great. It was great. It it actually was a great learning experience.
0: So people uh, were involved in all kinds of decisions, not just the the space as a whole, but like you said, design decisions or colors and materials, and they gave input on all of that. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, we started the design justice process specifically when it came to like physical design and architecture issues, because we didn't want the building's architecture just to reflect what you're what might be kind of the, the common architecture that you see for affordable housing. We wanted the the architecture and the physical environment to reflect a, a variety of right a variety of values and aesthetics that were rooted in different things than just kind of what mainstream Western affordable housing design is looking like today. And so that's when we initiated the design justice process and the where I heard about that That um, philosophy was from Brian Lee. He works at a nonprofit. He's an architecture urban planner in uh, Louisiana. And he was the keynote presenter at um, something that the Madison Community Foundation put together many years ago. I think it was with downtown Madison as well. And he was a keynote there. And so he was speaking, and he used the term design justice and was talking about projects that he'd done in New Orleans with disenfranchised populations. And I was just sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, that's what we've been doing. We've been doing design justice. Um, I've just been calling it participatory design, but really, that's that's what it is. The same principles apply, which basically is including the people who've been left out of decisions, uh, who've been who will be impacted the most by decisions mm-hmm. in the actual planning process. And so, kind of, it put a name to something that we had been doing, which was." really exciting to be able to to connect with that movement and then we put together a cohort of residents and our, and our architecture team to actually come up with design like review the architectural designs of the buildings and the colors and the, yeah. the windows yeah. and the porches and things yeah. like that yeah. is what we talked about we talked about what is healing you know there have been so many wrongs and so many injustices perpetrated on this land, um, perpetrated toward people of color who live here, and how can the physical environment and housing specifically, but the green spaces as well, and the community spaces, how can, that, how can those, those spaces actually be playing a role in helping with healing some of the injustices um, from the past? We can't change them, but what can we do to um, make things better for the next generation?
0: So you've got one uh, beautiful building standing there now and another one in progress, right? I think I can even hear some uh, uh, construction machinery in the background there nearby. (laughs) Um, Tell us some, uh, some concrete examples of what some of those cultural preferences were or healing mm-hmm. um, preferences for the physical environment? And they could be really small even, just mm-hmm. how did they translate into the actual buildings, those those preferences that people wanted for their living spaces?
3: Yeah, um, well, there's several. Um, so a lot of people talked about how what is healing to them is access to nature, um, hearing children play, and access to spaces for them to garden. Many of baby's residents are sustenance gardeners. And so we prioritize green space in the plan. So we pushed all of the parking underground as much as possible. Um, We did go taller with some apartment buildings, but that optimized um, more green space being available for kids to play and residents to garden. So with the new redevelopment, Not only will people have spaces in front of their their apartments and their townhouses to garden, but there will be 30 community plots on the periphery of a large green space where kids will play. Um, The playground is now centrally located on Bayview's property. Currently, we don't have a playground, so the kids cross the street to go to a playground that's on CDA property. Um, Residents talked about color They talked about how color sort of brightens their spirits, lifts them up. Residents talked about wanting to come home and feel elevated to feel at peace from a long day um, at work. And so we actually made the ceilings taller in all of the units. So they're not your typical eight to nine foot, eight foot ceilings. They're more like nine, 10 foot ceilings. And then the windows are much larger. So there's easier access just even in the winter months to more sun, more sunlight, more ventilation, the sounds of nature. So those are just a couple of examples of things that we did to center some of the ideas that residents put forward. Oh, porches, like all of the townhouses and the apartments have either porches or balconies, and they're not just enough space for one chair. We made sure that there's enough space for at least two chairs or three chairs so that people have space for them to connect with each other, for them to connect with their neighbors.
0: And, Sean, have you or your, any of your family members uh, moved into any of the new spaces yet? And, and what are they reporting if they have?
1: Um, I haven't moved in yet, but uh, my uncle has. And he loves it. Yeah. You know, he has his own washer and dryer, has uh, Wi Fi. Uh, He's never had Wi-Fi before. I mean, he has his phone, but with the Wi-Fi, he could, uh, you know, communicate with uh, relatives from afar, and it, it's just great. It just improved uh, his overall mood and happiness. Every time you see him, he's, he's always very happy. The building's great, you know, parking on the ground, and uh, just a beautiful, beautiful building. Uh, residents are very happy.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um thanks. I want to just reintroduce you both, and then we'll move a little bit more into um, the project and lessons from it. You're listening to A Public Affair here on WRT 89.9, Madison, and I'm talking today with Lexi London, who is the executive director of the Bayview Foundation, and Shang Vang, who's a longtime Bayview resident, housing coordinator at Bayview and Bayview Foundation Board member, we're talking about uh, Bayview in downtown Madison, design justice, and affordable housing here in Madison. We'd love for you to join our conversation at 608 256 2001, extension 9, if you want to give us a call, and we'll get you on the air with our guests. So, we are um, created this beautiful picture, both of you, of, of what's happening there. Obviously, um, you had to connect the community then to uh, funders and uh, architects and developers. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that process, Lexi, um, how the project is being funded and who else has been working with you? Sure.
3: Our co de- developers Horizon Development Corporation, and Scott Kuczynski is our project manager, and he's been absolutely wonderful to work with. Um, they, as a developer, have been just really, really willing to work with us and support our vision, um, which I think is rare because it was has been a unique vision that had many twists and turns and many different elements um, included. So I really appreciate their willingness to work with us. Um, they are the ones that applied for tax credit funding. So the way that affordable housing is currently created by the U.S. government is through the Section 42 tax Um, increment uh, tax um, credit program. And so Bayview applied for tax credits in 2020. Our application, there was a technical error, we did not get funding, but we did get funding in 2021, which then set us up to start construction on this three-year, it's a three-year phased redevelopment process um, in summer of 2022. So we've, like you said at the beginning of the show, we've completed one phase of a three-year development, and so we're in the midst of our second phase right now. But in addition to tax credit funding, we also got uh, City of Madison funding. So 2.9 million from the city, 1.3 million from the county. And then we also have some mortgages, some WIDA mortgages and debt on the project. We're also in the middle of a capital campaign to fund the community center because an integral part of this redevelopment process is the housing and the the community center. And so the community center is gonna be double in size. And we um, have a $6 million goal for the community center. We're about um, $1.3 million away from attaining that goal. Um, So that's another piece of the funding picture for the community center specifically. Uh, But all of those things work together. It's pretty complicated um, process of the way that the money plays out, um, especially over the three years, because as we all know, the, the cost of supplies, labor shortages has really, after post-COVID, has really impacted construction projects. And so Bayview has not been immune to that. We've seen about a 35% increase from phase one um, into phase two with the cost for construction. So um, we're trying to fill that gap as quickly as possible
0: uh, Sean, that um, brings to mind then how this is affecting residents. Uh, are are residents' costs for housing increasing as a result of this project? Uh, no, no. Resident residents'
1: costs are uh, not increasing. No, it's it's the same. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, that's amazing that the the community is able to do this without you know directly impacting the residents in that way. Yeah,
3: we have um, Bayview has a, a Section Eight contract with HUD and so currently we have 99 housing assistant payments through our HUD contract and then with the redevelopment we actually got eight additional HAT payments so we have 107 total so Mm -hmm. the beauty of that is that if people qualify for that subsidy 30 percent they only pay 30 percent of their income on rent and Bayview is um our contract with HUD is for for 30 years and so we are truly, you know, affordable housing committed to not um, having any residents pay additional additional costs, obviously for the redevelopment, but for anything else.
0: You mentioned uh, the community center, Lexi, when you were talking and raising money for the community center. I'd love to hear both of you talk a little bit more about the important role of the community center in the community and what that uh, community center does for the community. Both in the past and, and what you're hoping for in the future. Yeah,
1: so uh, the community center it's a central hub. Everybody comes here. Elders, the young, and the elders come here. They come and watch movies, do yoga, um, oh, zoom, uh, Zumba. Is it Zumba? Yeah, Zumba classes. Yeah, Zumba classes. You know, there's cooking classes, food distribution, meal distributions. Um, you know, it's just a great place. People come here and mingle, just just uh, relax. Um, it's a great place. Uh, it's a place where people can see each other after a long day, and um, you know with the new community center, it's it's going to be even greater. You know, double the space, and we're just really looking forward to it. You know, um, just looking to adding more programs and uh, just just going from there. It's gonna, it's going to be great.
3: Yeah, it. I think that one thing that's wonderful about the center is that the we get a. We get a feel for what some of the issues are in the community with residents, like what things they might be struggling with if they're young or if they're older. Um, coming out of COVID, it was a lot of social isolation, especially with seniors. Um, and. How do we develop programs to help support them to reconnect with each other? We saw something similar with the middle school population, especially middle school, mm-hmm. high school boys were having a harder time re mm-hmm. reconnecting back into yeah. school, reconnecting with their, their friends in person. And so staff are able to kind of see what's happening with different populations and try to figure out program solutions that support those things so we can get people the food that they need, not just give them baskets with generic food, but give them baskets of food that's culturally appropriate, help with mental health supports, help to refer people to other other programs um, that they might need help with, like for rent assistance or things like that. So the community center is this space that's just, you know, within steps from where people live, where they know that they can get the support that they need. Yep. Um, and there's a responsive staff, you know, and that's what's critical.
0: You also were talking earlier, mm-hmm. Lexi, about the role of the arts there at Bayview, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Uh, how art is integrated into community activities and community life there?
3: Sure. Well, um, that's my my background. So I love community art, public art, and I really feel like arts have this very transformational power in community because it can bring people together. Um, just to make something side by side. There's a huge construction vehicle outside my window. Um, so it's it's just this space you you create a space where there doesn't even have to be a lot of dialogue, but there's communal art making and co creation happening. Um, and so that's an essential part of Bayview. It could be with music, it could be with food, it could be with visual art. Could be with poetry, but there's opportunities for people to express themselves and to pull from their cultural backgrounds things that are meaningful to them, and then they showcase that proudly in a product. It could be a performance, it could be a visual art piece, um, and you also have the opportunity to call attention to social issues. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in the process of of starting to plan a mural that's gonna go on the side of our building at West Wash and Regent Street. So it'll be facing the Capitol pretty much. So you're coming down West Wash or driving on Regent Street, it'll be very visible. And we wanna do a piece that specifically is about affordable housing, dignified housing, um, the connection between home, um, social justice, and um, arts and creativity. So tying those things together and really showcasing like what does it mean to have a holistic, healthy neighborhood? Um, and what does that what does that look like in Madison? Um, a lot of people aren't aware of what true what, what affordable housing is and what it isn't. And I think having a bigger community dialogue about affordable housing, dignified housing, what that means to the community at large is really important. So art as this a way of being able to kind of bring some issues and ideas to the surface and get people talking about them without telling them what to think, but just to get them to start to think and talk about issues that are important to all of us because we're all interconnected and um, the health of one community is dependent upon the health of another community. So that's the power of the, the arts in a mm-hmm. nutshell.
0: Yeah. Um, will uh, the Madison mm-hmm. community get to see that mural literally kind of spring forth before our eyes over yeah. a, what time period? Um,
3: so we are probably going to put out an RFQ for artists, a so request for qualification to artists in the next month. And the artists will then submit um, ideas to us. And we hope to have that piece completed by October of next year. Um, so it, we're hoping to time it with um, a year after residents have moved into those units, this new mural will go up on the side of their building. And then there also is about 19 other public art pieces that will become a part of this redevelopment. Um, it might be gathering spaces. So there, there's place making efforts, which are re- really just like intentional spaces that, that gather people um, and get them to connect with each other. So. There'll be physical spaces that are creative and uh, placemaking. And then there's like visual art and sculptural pieces that will be integrated into the redevelopment. So the site will kind of be scattered with um, various pieces for residents to enjoy as well as the public. Mm
0: -hmm. Will the public be able to sort of engage with the the artwork and the gardens eventually? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There's going to be pathways that will be more clearly delineated for public. Yeah, the public to walk through. Obviously, there's semi-private spaces and more private spaces, but the community center is going to be open to anyone and everyone, not just Bayview residents.
0: Great. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. My name is Douglas Haynes. I'm talking with Lexi London, executive director of the Bayview Foundation, and Shang Vang who is a Bayview resident, a housing coordinator at Bayview. There's still time for you to join our conversation about Bayview, affordable housing, design, justice. We're hearing uh, the story of a complete re-envisioning of the Bayview community. It's really inspiring, and we'd love to hear your comments. Give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, if you'd like to join the conversation. So in the time we have left, I'd love to hear uh, a little bit more about both of your insights on what uh, we could all learn in terms of affordable housing and community design from this process so far. I know you're still in the thick of it, but so far, um, what do you see as transferable lessons of the Bayview redesign, both here in Madison or potentially anywhere? You go You go first so
1: what, what was the question again douglas the, transferable
0: lessons that could be applied elsewhere about this redesign process
1: well um wow it's been a it's been a great great experience yeah experience um bayview i feel that bayview will be a great great uh role model for other communities to uh to follow um like i said it's 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 been a it's been fun but it's it's been difficult it has difficulties but um once everything's done uh, all the phases are complete uh i think the city can take a take a look at baby and see what, what we've accomplished and um hopefully we can uh give uh positive uh input for other communities to follow you know hopefully you know other other communities will see what what we've done and you know appreciate baby for what it is you know a great community
0: you mentioned difficulties Shang and uh, we've been talking about all these amazing uh, mm-hmm. things coming to fruition there. But you know it's important to talk about the difficulties because that's how we learn as well. Uh, yeah. Is there one or are there a couple that come to mind that you know have been real learning processes for either residents in the community or the the broader process?
1: Oh, uh, it's just mostly the planning. You know, the planning and uh, you know, make sure people are ready to move and you know think things of that nature. But. Uh, for the most part, you know the building and construction that's smooth, but you know just just getting people ready because it's it's emotional. They've been here all their lives, 40, 50 years, and to see these buildings go down, it's it's a lot of history. It's a lot of history, and you know to many who have, who have never been a baby, obviously is red buildings, but to others it, it's been home. It's it's been a place where they can come home every day from work, uh, be safe, relax, enjoy with their families. And, and you know it's it, it means a lot to them so for these buildings to go down it's a lot of residents were really sad
0: i'm glad you you mentioned that shang not just a logistical difficulty to move right but as you said a psychological emotional yeah. difficulty um what what helped with that process anything come to mind um
1: i don't have a real good answer for that but uh yeah everybody copes with it differently yeah. but uh we, we we try to offer uh Resources here, and you uh, talk with residents of you know how to uh, you know try to help them cope cope with some of the difficulties. But maybe Lexi can answer that better.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, Zhang was really involved in that. He was is one of three housing coordinators. So we we beefed up our housing staff, and we had each resident who moved assigned a resident coordinator, and that and, and Zhang was one of those coordinators and that resident sort of knew who they could go to for questions about moving, packing, scheduling, logistics. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was emotional. Like it wasn't just like going in and having a meeting and being like, okay, pack up your boxes by September 15th, you're moving on the 20th, you know? It was like a back and forth long um, process that was like emotional for the residents and then obviously emotional for staff too to hold all that energy and history a Mm -hmm. lot of people cried when the old buildings came Mm -hmm. down and like we're well aware of that it's not just about the new and even though we did the design justice process it still is saying goodbye to a part of the history of this land and people people's lives and so making sure you take some time with that i would say like a lesson learned was probably we needed to do more planning Mm -hmm. earlier with residents to prepare them for the moves and residents have a lot of stuff. They've accumulated a lot of stuff. And so how do we support them with like the logistics of like purging some of those things so that they can move into their apartments and not feel like burdened by a bunch of of stuff that they don't typically use. Um, But that, that was, that was, that was hard. Yeah, Yeah, it was exhausting. I mean, just absolutely exhausting (laughs) for staff
1: and residents yeah a lot of residents had to do a second take on the final day of moving they didn't want to leave they took videos of inside and outside just everything took pieces of the the Mm -hmm. the building that was knocked down it's it's just very emotional for residents you know it's it's been a great community you know now the past and the future it's going to be great you know you know it's 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 hard to explain when i say great you have to come here experience it for yourself so I, yeah. We did save yeah. bricks,
3: though, for yeah. people. So we, we're going to do one of those public art pieces related specifically to the Bayview bricks just oh, to bring. Yeah. And then some of the house numbers, too. We're going to save yeah. save some of those so that there can be some of that history and in, integrated into the new environment. Um, I think just like Bayview takes time. It Bayview is an organization that cares about people first. Mm-hmm. And so just centering that. Um, is something that I think could be a lesson learned. Not not, not that other entities and developers don't do that, but um, the resident engagement wasn't just a box that was checked, it was like truly embedded in the foundation of the planning and it kind of drove a lot of the decisions. And so I think not necessarily like another entity can't like replicate exactly what we did, but there are definitely pieces of it that are easily replicated be replicated and then scaled up or down based on what the project is. So that's one thing. I would say thinking holistically about neighborhood development, it's not just about building four walls and a roof. It's really about building a community where people feel connected, where people feel safe, where people feel that they can grow their families and thrive. And what does that look like? It's really the same for all all humans, like they'll share many of the same values when they talk about home and their community. But then how do those values translate into like the physical environment? I think that's just lesson learned for other developers and other projects is it's important to translate that and it's important to go back to the community and say, okay, you told us this, this is the design solution that we created. Did we get it right? And so that iterative process is really important, and that's something that Bayview did. So, and and truly, we wanted the feedback. We didn't just like want to be like, yay, we got it right, we're done. It was really more about like, did we get it right? Did we not get it right? Like, how should we do it differently? And then we we want to make adjustments. We can't get everything exactly what people want, and so you have to be clear and upfront with people that, um, just so that you, you can set their expectations appropriately, but we tried really, really hard to center what the residents needed and wanted in this in the planning of the new yep. Bayview. Um, and I think we're yep. fairly successful. Um, not we, there's definitely some things where uh, we weren't able to to do things the residents wanted, but overall, I think this new community when it's finished in 2024 will be kind of a, a it will be a model and a template and people will wanna visit it. and everyone will know who Bayview is because there's going to be 13 different colors of buildings. You've got that big red-orange building at the corner of West Washington region, but by the end, there's going to be 13 additional colors on the property.
0: I'm glad you you brought that up because it is hard to tell right now with the big red building and then all this kind of open space with the construction going on uh, what what this model is going to look like. Um, So it sounds like it's going to be really colorful. Um, that'll bring me, I think, to one of our last questions, and it's a tricky one, but I think we should, we should tackle it, or I would love to get your perspectives on it. This is happening at Bayview while all these luxury apartment buildings are going up sort of all around you in a way in downtown Madison, right? And I know um, central to your mission there is to reduce inequality, reduce racial disparities in housing. Um, what uh, what are the big challenges that you you see for doing that uh, in the Madison environment right now? And of course, we're not unique. This is happening in cities all across the country. This racial disparity in housing. Uh, how do we how do we tackle that? It's a big question. Have you learned anything about that?
3: Uh, uh, somewhat, I think. I mean, one of our goals here was in in how do we ensure that. Bayview remains affordable and truly affordable for people um, who are of lower various economic status, um, people of color living in downtown Madison. So that was extremely critical, like preventing gentrification of the area and ensuring that this property is affordable for years and years and years to come. And so part of the redevelopment, it guarantees that because the housing is higher quality housing. And we re you know we re upped our contract with HUD, so it guarantees that. I think educating the public about what truly is affordable, and um, how the cost of living in Madison, just in general, yeah. everyday life, but specifically in housing, um, has gone up and up and up over the last decade, and how like what can we all do as a community to understand that 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 issue impacts all of us, and we want. We don't want want there to be as big of a disparity between the people who can afford to live here and the people who can't, either as renters or as owners. So I think having a bigger conversation about affordable housing, because you see projects popping up all over the city on West Wash, on Regents or on um, East Washington. Um, and, you know, there's a difference between a tax credit project and truly affordable housing projects. And so I don't think everyone understands what what the differences are and How do we as a community support truly affordable housing, which is housing that's at that 30 percent of people's income level?
0: Yeah. And also the difference, as you've made so clear, both of you in this hour, the difference between putting up a building that's affordable versus creating a community that fits in with its environment and a neighborhood and a community that cares about each other so you've um, provided such great testimony this hour to how you've all have done that uh, at Bayview so thank you so much for sharing that story and and your personal stories. As well, I've been talking with uh, Lexi London, executive director of the Bayview Foundation here in Madison, and Shang Vang, who is a Bayview resident, housing coordinator at Bayview and board member of the Bayview Foundation. Uh, Thank you, Shong, for being with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Lexi. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you both today. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew, producer, Jade, and news director, Sholly. And Sholly's previous reporting on Bayview, in particular, gave us a great basis for this show today. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on a public affair here at WORT 89.9 FM Community Supported Radio in Madison. Stay tuned for Madison Book Beat. Today hosts Angela Trudell-Vasquez and Devin Trudell talk with Ron Sherwin about his book of poems, 100 Umbrellas.
2: Permission that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream media distorted. We come and listen and support it. Live and direct, we come and never pre recorded. With an admission that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream media distorted. We come and listen and support it. Live